Today is episode two of uh, Heaven, Who's Going? And if you are just crawling out into the new year, seeing outside for the first time, then you can catch up at intoone.ca under messages and uh, find out what we already talked about because these messages are sort of built together to go stacking, um, not just independent. So, They build out from each other. But here's a super quick recap version of episode one. The existence of heaven, or an afterlife of some sort, is something that most North Americans believe. When confronted with the concept of going to the good place or not going to the good place, most of us tend to believe that we are going to the good place. So, last episode, we talked about slavery and its pervasiveness globally. Why did that change? Why did slavery used to be the default understanding of the world, and now it's pretty much believed to be an evil thing? What happened? Modern people, people in in our world now, maybe you call them postmodern people, uh, they think about slavery and they say, how could anyone have ever accepted and lived in such a monstrosity of a culture? But a historian might answer a little differently. They go, that's not the way a historian thinks. They ask, considering the fact that it was a universally believed um, thing that all societies, we had the right to attack and to enslave weaker people, and since everybody had always done it, the real historical question is why? Why did it occur to anybody that it was wrong? It's what we always do. Who had that idea first? And the first voices in the 4th and the 17th and the 18th and the 19th centuries who called for the abolition of slavery were all Christian. And the Christians who called for this justice believed that there was a God of love who demanded that we love our neighbors, all our neighbors. Well, you could take the same idea and you go back even farther. In the cultures all around the world, there were gods. Every culture had gods, many gods, families of gods, pantheons of gods, God for this and a God for that. There were stories that went along about where did these gods come from and what do they do? All the gods had a story that went along with them. There was a creation story. There are stories that explain why things happen or why things look the way they do. And from those stories grew religions and ways to interact with the gods. Since you couldn't avoid them, you had to figure out ways to appease them. But why appease them? Because all gods were seen to be capricious and unconcerned with the affairs of humanity. Humanity was to serve the gods, and they would do that, and the gods would then in turn do whatever they wanted to the people, sometimes cruelly treating them just because they wanted to. So people... They made sacrifices, they had festivals, they participated in sacred rites, and they did all this to try and calm, to try and please and influence the gods on their behalf. At no time would anyone ever make the statement that God is love. No one thought of God being love until after Jesus revealed the truth about God. And it changed history then, and it continues to change history now. As a church in Stouffville, We are part of an organization called Restore Canada. It's where a number of the churches band together with people, power, and finances to help folks in our community when things have gone sideways, when they're in a situation that they go, I don't want to be here. 
There was a lady, if the, the building's just out here. There's apartments above many of them. There was a lady who used to live above one of those stores, angry lady, bitter lady, and she had found a way to ruin all of her relationships, ruined the relationships with her family, ruined the relationships with people who wanted to help her, ruined her relationships with neighbors, with, with anyone who could be a positive person to her. She had isolated herself by being bitter and angry. But need came up, and she eventually got in contact with Restore. Uh, so there's a, a care uh, planner who went to go work with her. And so she started to get support. And the support went beyond, here's a can of tuna. It started to be, how can we change some of the patterns? How, how can we adjust some of the structures that are in your life? So um, over time, the care planner was trying to help her rebuild broken relationships. And they had tried, and it, um, but it was, it was hard. And so he, he asked her, hey, have you have you called your daughter? Yeah, yeah, I've called my daughter. She doesn't want to have anything to do with me. She's really angry. And Well, let's try again. So they, they were in a car, and together they phoned the daughter. And it, from that car, this shared conversation, the care planner helps to fill in some gaps, helps to fill in words that are meant but not said. And, and, and even in that call, the beginning of a restored relationship began. And that continued, and so she moved out of Stouffville to go be closer to her daughter. And time passes, okay? Um, years, years have gone by, and out of nowhere, this caregiver gets a call, and it's a call from the daughter um, saying, oh, that lady, you remember my mom? She died. But she wanted me to tell you, and I want to tell you myself, thank you. My mom died happy of a restoration with her daughter and a restoration that grew also with God. Thanks to Restore and their impact that we get to be a part of. When He was on earth, Jesus taught new things and He taught old things in new ways. He raised the standard of what was called good and He kept going out and He's teaching in towns and He's teaching in cities and He went to where the people were. He sent His disciples also out to all different kinds of places, all different kinds of areas. Go speak to the people, the regular people, the imperfect people. And he taught the regular people, and he taught the religious people, and he said in front of them all, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And he says that a whole bunch of times. He made it clear that no one was good enough. There was no chance of being good enough. And Jesus, at that point, he, he, he rejected the really religious idea that you could somehow be in good standing with God while mistreating other people that God loves. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to do that? Lay it all out, treat people poorly, judge those around you harshly, and then think that in spite of that, or perhaps even worse, because of that, you were right with God? I have. I know I have. Have you? Real religion and the pursuit of it doesn't allow you to treat people badly as you pursue what you call religion. And lots of people don't like that one, right? They like it when it feels like Jesus is on your side, right? He's my buddy. But they don't like it when it feels like Jesus might just be pointing the finger at you. 
You claim spiritual growth and spiritual development, ministry expansion. Your church just keeps growing. You're setting godly standards. But as you do it, you run over other people. You dismiss other people as beneath you, as not measuring up like you do. Have you ever mistreated another person? Ever? Maybe by accident? Maybe on purpose? As a child, did you ever mistreat anyone when you were a teenager? What about last month? What about yesterday? What about this morning? We said things about another person or another group of people that we should not have said. Have you ever mistreated another person? It's really hard to answer that question with a no. At school? At work? Maybe at your cousin's house? In your own house? In God's house? When you look around this room, are there people here that you have mistreated? Gossip? Shock. I've never even heard the word. You never lied? Never been unfaithful? Never broken a promise? Never spoke negatively of the people around me? Never disregarded people or treated them as less than me? I've never mistreated anyone. When Jesus drew people's attention to this question, everyone was guilty. And if that's true about you, then according to Jesus, that makes you a sinner. Have you ever been irritated by people who mistreat and devalue people? Bubbles up. How do you feel when the people who are doing the mistreating and the devaluing are Christians? Does it bug you at all? Does that get under your skin? Does it irritate you? I mean, it should irritate you because it irritated Jesus. He had no patience with that internalized believe-only religion that separates somehow my thoughts and my actions, that somehow I can do something in this life and be right with God regardless of how I treat or mistreat the people around me. The Apostle Paul, he was writing to some of his uh, misguided friends in the city of Corinth. And these, these are good people to have around because they kept messing up things frequently like we are prone to mess things up. So if we go through the book, we jump in at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's explaining how to behave lovingly in worship. And he's seeking right now to correct the abuses that have been happening, taking place around the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Some people are getting preferential treatment and some people are being excluded. How can we have love and have this kind of division? And that's the passage that we come to frequently, regularly, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But the, the idea continues on to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because he didn't write chapter marks in, we added them after, with what love looks like within the church regarding the application of the spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not what the Spirit gives to you. They are what the Spirit gives to the church through you. And that's why it's so incredibly important to be involved in using your gifts. Your gifts 
are given by God to build Christ's church. And when we withhold, when we pull back our gifts, we are going against the reason that they were given in the first place. God's gifts that are embodied within you are for the betterment and for the building of His church. This highlights again for us into one commitment that we are on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ. It's where we're going, and part of that earnest pursuit is physically manifested through generosity, through generosity in time, in treasure, and in talent. It's our pursuit. Are you giving generously of what you have been gifted with from God? Because God is the source of all good things. He is the one who supplies us with all that we need for life and for service. Are you living generously with your time, with your treasure, and your talent? Or are you consciously withholding? Are you choosing to not be generous? Are you afraid that you will run out? Where is it that you're putting your trust? You place your trust in the person of Jesus. He is the source of your life and all that is required for generous living. Then we go on into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Ah, the love chapter, right? Now that you are living and worshiping and serving all of these things, embodying, displaying, manifesting love, what does that love look like? What, what, what should it look like? What does it look like? But what could it look like? Paul did not write this passage with a wedding ceremony in mind. It gets used there, but that's not, that was not its point. It, it doesn't matter about the big fancy things that I do if I don't have love. And love is patient, and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, but rejoices. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Beautiful in marriage, more beautiful in regular living. It's not meant to give us warm, fuzzy feelings. This chapter is actually Paul's word of rebuke to a church that was marked by great miracles and big charisma, but also little maturity and character. They lack love. We started this year out with a call to live out our love of God, and that is Jesus' command, right? Love one another. Peter, Apostle Peter, he jumps on that later in one of his letters. He commands, he takes that command and he fleshes it out a bit. He gives us some practical outworking. What is this going to look like as we interact in our relationships? 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 8, above all, above all more important than anything else, more important than anything else. Above all, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. But, but not so much as a command, thou shalt, you better, you better or you fail. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love is grease. It makes things move well. It greases the wheels. It keeps the friction down. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. The reason that you love is not because you have to 
although it is our command. It is what makes relationships possible. It is what makes them possible to go deep, to be transformative. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Verse 9, how does that look? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Keep doing it. Verse 10, back to the love that Paul was talking about. Peter's agreeing here. Each of you should use whatever gift that you have received to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace in its various forms. Generosity in time, treasure in town. There's no better time than at the beginning of the year to make an evaluation again of what have you done and look forward to what would you like to have done. What's the story that you would like to be told about you? How would you like to be remembered? Serve others as God's stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What gifts do you have? that you can serve others with. So the, the proper Christian response comes out of this love. When, when we have uh, political situations, like we've got political situations, am I right? Social uncertainty, like we've got, am I right? Right, we've got some turmoil, like, let's, come on! Uh, faith, <laughs> hope, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is our response when we know the world's in turmoil. This is our response when we know our friends are having crazy times going on with what's happening politically. The more mature a believer is, the less they take offense, the less they retreat into that insecurity, and the more they err on the side of kind-heartedness. Love covers over a multitude of sins. They are being filled with love, and love covers over. It, it, it hides, it, it, it shelters a multitude of sins. It covers over offenses. The offenses don't break through the love wall that has been grown. Not enough to offend me. John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. Not say it, do it. You've got to do it. It's not about our perfect doctrine. It's not about our perfect gifts, our amazing skills, our amazing talents. All those, those can be incredibly significant, but it's by our love. Lord, help us love like you love. Henri Nouwen, he wrote, we, we can become very knowledgeable about spiritual matters without becoming truly spiritual people. Ouch. God, grant us discernment. The way that we see the calling that God has given us can really change the way that we go about living His calling out. God, give us eyes to see as you see, because when I see as you see, I can do as you say. At Into One, we believe that God has called us into relationship with Him and with each other. And He is transforming our hearts and our minds, and we are being perfected into one. It is a process. It doesn't happen overnight, but we are becoming part of the answer to the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 when He said, make them one. We've heard from Jesus. We heard from Peter and Paul and John. These are inspired voices to model our lives after given inspiration by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not at the same level at all, okay? But here's another voice a voice that's reaching out to try to describe, stretching to live out this beautiful coming together. 
It's from U2's song, One. We're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. Carry each other. One. Is that what you want to do? When you come to Into One, is that what you were thinking when you look at the other people that are gathered here? We're not the same. We get to carry each other. Do you embrace the privilege in that? It's beautiful. It's just, it's just another brush stroke on the canvas of the world that I would like to live in. That's the world that I am giving my life to call into view. That's the direction that I am pointing, and I am inviting you. Will you come with me as we go together in earnest pursuit of Jesus? Jesus taught us this, that when you, that when you sin against someone that God loves, you sin against God. Sin isn't about breaking some religious tradition. Sin and, and, and being right with God isn't about keeping some religious tradition. It is manifested. It is lived out in the way that you treat people that God loves. Matthew 25, 45, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Have you ever mistreated another person? If you have, then from the perspective of Jesus, you fall short of the goodness and the glory of God. According to Jesus, mistreating other people separates us from God because that's a sin. So we are all doomed. It comes out, it sounds impossible. It sounds unreasonable. When we consider that as our standard of behavior towards others, it just seems overwhelming. But, but, however, it sounds just about right when it comes to others' behavior towards me or my kids. If you mistreat me, you mistreat my kids, then you are darn right, I think, about that you are falling short of the glory of God. We don't want to treat other people the way that your heavenly Father wants you to be treated. It's not that we don't know good. Good is very knowable when it comes to what's good for others. I know how to treat you well, and I know when I'm not doing it. That is not something I can argue with. I fall short. You fall short. We all fall short. There is the bad news, okay? A little bit of dark helps the light to shine that much better because there's good news. Good news is what is translated from the term gospel. Now, we use frequently the, the term gospel like a, like a genre, and we talked about that in our series before called the J-Train. But it became a genre title because the word gospel means good news. And the gospels, the, the genre, are a delivery system for the good news. Jesus levels the playing field. We're all guilty. We're all doomed. And then he introduced, introduces hope at the very same time. We learned this last episode, John 3, 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Just how good is good enough? 
Jesus. We can't hit that. That's why we need a Savior. That's why it's called good news, because Jesus was the only one good enough to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 20. We beg you on behalf of Christ. This is what Christ is begging you to do. This is Jesus' desire for you, to be reconciled to God. We want you to be right with God. We, we want the connection that was broken or the, the connection that has been severed. We want it to be restored. We want you to be in right relationship with God. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us on our behalf so that in him we, he did this for us, so that we might become, not do, but become, it's a new status, we might become the righteousness of God. God through Christ, God gave you his righteousness. God through Christ gave you a right standing. He transferred onto you what we could never earn on our own. He didn't just take our place, Jesus gave us a brand new place, a brand new relationship with God, not based on anything we could do, because we all fell short. <coughs> Jesus took His righteousness and He made it available to you so that we could have what He has with God. And He took upon Himself all of your falling short, all of your sin and all of my sin based on nothing we've done. According to Jesus, good people don't go to heaven because according to Jesus, there aren't any good people. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. This was the point of His life. It's what He came to do. Luke thoroughly researched everything, so thoroughly uh, interviewed, brought, brought us the book of Acts, got us, um, wrote the, the gospel of Luke. Listen to what he records. Based on the eyewitnesses that he met, that he talked to, they were there. Luke talked to them later to get this straight. Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 33. When they came to the place of the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one, the other on his left. In the gruesomeness, in the horror, in the pain of that crucifixion, a bunch of people heard him say, and they heard him say it because they were there in it. Disciples and followers and family and friends and admirers, and there was men and there were women and there was Mary and, and the other Mary and the other Mary, and there was Martha, and Peter, and John, and Matthew, and Nathaniel, and 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgive them. Forgive all of them. Don't hold their sin against them. This is not justice. This is not fairness. Do you know what this is? It's grace. It's getting what we don't deserve. At the same time, it's mercy. It's not getting what we do deserve. And that's good news. 
Religion has always been about do. That's the definition. Did you do it? Jesus rejected that whole paradigm. Jesus' message was way more simple. It was done. There's nothing you can do to fix it. There's nothing you can do to pay it. There is simply a gift to be received. The gift of forgiveness, a right standing with God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. That's the good news. I want to remind you of what I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. First thing, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Four, that He was buried because He was fully dead, not mostly dead. And then He was raised on the third day. And then here it is. This is what he writes, you know, 15 to 20 years after these events actually happen. Not hundreds of years later. Everybody's reflecting on this. Verse 5, he's, and then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Verse 6, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. You can go check with them, though some have fallen asleep. Seven, then he appeared to James. This is where things get tricky a little bit again. Do you know who James was? It's tricky because there's a lot of people named James in these accounts. Uh, there's James the Greater and James the Lesser, or uh, Big James and Little James. But those guys are both in the twelve, so he doesn't mean them. He means James, the brother of Jesus. He's talking about Jesus' brother, who was not a follower of Jesus at that point. James goes on to be a leader in the first century church in Jerusalem. James goes on to call his brother his Lord because James saw his own brother crucified, dead, and buried, and then he met up with him again after he was dead and buried. James met up with his resurrected brother and called him Lord, and that's good news. The bad news is that you and I have mistreated people. That makes you a sinner. You are separated from God because of that sin. We all are. And then Jesus, who declared that we are sinners and identified us all as sinners, He went on to pay for your sin. And if you're like most people, you believe in a heaven. If you're like most people, you believe that you are headed there. To get there, you have to be trusting in something. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Your goodness? Goodness that you continue to work at, but you don't actually know if it's moving a scale, if there is a scale? The gospel is good news, not good advice. Advice is what we should do. News is a report of what was done for us. The good news is that Jesus invites us, He invites everyone to transfer their trust from our effort to His sacrificial death for our sin. To transfer your trust from your goodness to His grace. 
The gift of right standing with God is offered to you freely because He loves you. And if today that made sense for you, if today that somehow lit you up inside, if today that connected with you and you want to accept that gift, I want to help you do that. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And this prayer is just a way of notifying or connecting with Him to let Him know that you would like to make that transfer of trust. You would like to transfer your trust from your own efforts, your own goodness, to what Jesus did for you. To guide you through this, I'm going to read a prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to pray it out loud. To help that not feel so weird for you, I'm going to ask that everyone who has already prayed a prayer that's something like this, that you'd pray out loud also. We can do that all together. And if you don't want to pray it, then don't pray it. Please feel no obligation. But if today there is a connection for you, let's not miss this opportunity. Hear yourself say these words. Here it is. Okay, I'll go, I'll go first again, and then, we, and then we'll pray it together. Okay? Heavenly Father, I have mistreated people that you love. I've sinned. I don't just need to do better. I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I'm no longer trusting in my goodness. I'm trusting in your undeserved goodness to me. I accept Jesus' death as the once and for all payment for my sin. Amen. That's it. These are words that simply express a transfer of trust. No longer trusting in my goodness. Good enough. But I'm now transferring all of my trust to what has already been done for me. You've got to trust something. What do you trust? So if you've never prayed a prayer like this before, Church Online, I'm including you in there too but you believe that there is something that you are ready to believe, something that you are ready to believe, something that you are ready to do, that I want to encourage you. Pray these words. Let's do that together out loud. Again, even church online. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, I have mistreated people that you love. I have sinned. I don't just need to do better. I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I'm no longer trusting in my goodness. I'm trusting in your undeserved goodness to me. I accept Jesus' death as the once and for all payment for my sin. Amen. If this is your first time, Church Online, if you're praying that right now, if you prayed that here today, let me know. Or let Sarah know. Or let one of our steering committee know. We don't want you to walk alone in this. We want to celebrate with you. It's, it's not insignificant. It's a, it's a significant thing, but we don't want you to be alone in that. So let us know. Let me pray for you. Kind Father, it's so simple. We know that we fall short. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of a right standing with you. Thank you for the grace that you have offered to me today and to my friends that are here with me today also. Thank you for the grace and, and, and the mercy that you make available to anyone, anywhere in the world. 
For those who decided to believe and to transfer their trust away from their own goodness and onto the gift of Jesus, thank you for them. I pray that you would do something so tangible in their lives that it would be a confirmation that not only did you hear this prayer, but that you have changed their relationship with you. And we pray all this in the name of our resurrected Savior, Jesus. Amen.